Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey guys, welcome back into the Moment of Cluth podcast. I almost couldn't wait until Friday to drop this episode because my guest this week is someone I was eager to sit down with and has an incredibly compelling life story. Joining me today is Karan Butler, NBA champion, NBA all-star, analyst, philanthropist, social activist, podcast host, you name it, he does it, he wears a lot of hats. His backstory experiencing his own racial injustices helped shape him into the individual he is today and drew me to him for this week's episode. He shares with me his story. He grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, a predominantly white town. He was arrested 15 times. He recounts one time even being arrested for his pants sagging, but successfully overcame the system, going on to play 14 years in the NBA, and now he uses his platform to speak his truth. We talk about the change he'd like to see, and I get his take on the NBA season, which is set to resume next month with a 22-team format. And at the end, he even shares a story about how Kobe Bryant one time helped him kick his Mountain Dew addiction. So let's jump right in. Thanks so much for coming on today. I was eager to have you on this podcast for a while now, and I'm glad that I was finally able to make it happen. Man, no problem. You know, excited to be on. Oh, no, you're good. So, you know, I just want to start off by saying that I read your um, your article in the Players' Tribune titled, This is a We Thing, and it was first and foremost. And in it, you talk about your experiences with law enforcement, growing up in Wisconsin, Racine, Wisconsin, which is predominantly a white town, and um, getting arrested over 50 times. When you see George Floyd and others who were murdered by cops because it fits the description in the article, do you ever stop and think to yourself, that could have been me? Absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the major reasons and the, the whys that I, I stepped out there on the deep end and just, you know, you couldn't take the politically correct route in all of this. You know, you had to speak your truth and speak from experience. and. I know that we all have platforms and, you know, with my platform, I wanted to tell my truth in an authentic way and, you know, share it with the world because, you know, people are continuing to wonder, how did we get here? And I wanted to educate them from my observation on how we got here and most importantly, come up with real solutions on what we can do to change systemic racism and some of the things that we're not, you know, consciously aware of. I read that um, you had been arrested for something as small as sagging pants, um, <laughs> gathering in groups larger than five. Um, and as somebody who has successfully overcome interactions in the justice system, how do you think that shaped you? Uh, I mean, it, it shaped me a, a lot because I'm able to, you know, educate and inform, you know, beyond surface level right now in the midst of this discussion. You know, um, it, it shaped me a lot because, you know, those experiences, you know, made me stronger and resilient and more brave. You know, uh, I, I look at my ancestors, I look at my grandmother that grew up in the cotton fields in Mississippi. Uh, she did, she marched with Dr. Martin King, the whole Selma, the civil rights movement. And to now be in a position where I can have my fingerprints on uh, a new narrative and a new wave, uh, you know, it's, it, it was so important for me to be, you know, over involved at this point. 
some people are saying fund the police. I know Los Angeles just cut their uh, funding for LAPD significantly. What would you like to see happen? How do we move forward from this? Well, I think one, you know, uh, communities, the black and brown communities have been underserved for, you know, decades. Uh, so we need to make sure that we serve those communities and not forget about them, you know, because trauma unaddressed uh, is, you know, trauma for America, as we see, in our, and that's what we're witnessing. Also, I think that uh, when you look at, how you doing, brother? When we're looking at the elections and, and everything that's happening, the same type of urgency and energy, we need to continue to inform our, our younger generation that it's important that you get out and vote and you don't sweep things under the rug like uh, America has swept things under the rug over years, and that's how we got to this point. So, you know, I encourage all the, the, the young folks in the new generation to get out, know who your mayor is, know who your lieutenant governor is, know who your governor is, have a relationship with them. Uh, the, the district attorney, are they trying people the right place? Are you seeing justice done in the, in the right format? And if not, you know, exercise your right to have a real opinion and, and, and get out there and have some type of influence because at the end of the day, those are our elected officials that you put in position to serve. And if they're not serving you, uh, that, that, that is uh, something that needs to be addressed immediately. You know, something that I've noticed with um, everything going on right now, it doesn't matter what size your platform you have. You could have 900 followers, you could have half a million followers and still share your message and get across um, the message that everybody's trying to right now. What would you say to anybody who's on the fence about breaking their silence? Just just say something. Uh, you know, I, I said it uh, in, in, in an article where I said, this is a weed thing, but this say something. I think silence is, you know, part of the problem. You know, a lot of people feel like you, you shouldn't step up and you shouldn't say something. That's not just, you know, uh, white people. That's people all walks of life, you know, people that look like me, uh, that just like, ah, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to rub, rub my circle the wrong way or people that I care about. But if people really truly care about you and something bothers you, that means something bothers them. But this is uh, something that's at the America's doorstep that continues to never get addressed. I had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, on my virtual roundtable that I host with the NBA. And we were talking about the civil rights movement and social injustice. And I'll never forget the famous image of him, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, uh, all of them together uh, in Cleveland in 1967. It was at the Cleveland Summit. And something that stuck out to me, what he said, he said, racism is like dust in the air. It is never visible until you shine a light on it. But everyone knows it is this. It's the mm -hmm. big elephant in the room uh, and no one wants to talk about it. So I think it's important that we discuss it. You know, people that you care about, make sure that outside of how you're doing uh, in the midst of uh, this pandemic and uh, what, what the weather like where you at, bring up racism and talk about it and, and get their observation and their perspective on it because it will make you better having those conversations and it will make them better and you can learn from it. Speaking of elephants in the room, we saw 29 of 30 NBA show their support, making a statement, whether it was their coach or their front office, except for the New York Knicks. What do you say to someone on his silence? And if you were playing for the Knicks, how would that make you feel? 
I would be playing for. I, you know, like I, I, I just couldn't get my, I couldn't give my all to an organization that is not backing me. Um, uh, that's not taking a stance and drawing a line in the sand on, you know, social injustice and racism as we see it. You know, we all from all walks of life, whether you, I mean, you, you seen it. It was, it was a murder, and, and we witnessed it. And it's unfortunate that that happened, but it brought up the discussion and it's bringing awareness from all platforms. And I talked to the, the owner of the Lakers and a good friend of mine, Jenny Buss, and we talked about, you know, it's very important to make sure that you take a stance right now. And that's exactly what she did. That's exactly what all the other organizations did. Um, San Antonio Spurs didn't post anything, but they posted pop. And that spoke volumes because we know the position that Pop uh, takes and stands. But the New York Knicks did nothing. And I, I, I said it, you know, every time they get an opportunity to, you know, do something right, it's like they pivot away and, you know, do something different. With that platform, it's a shame that they didn't use it to reach their fan base. Um, Another reason I was really eager to have you on this podcast is because I was reading that while you were in uh, juvenile detention is when you developed your love for basketball. Um, is there anything about that experience that you took away as a silver lining? I hate to use the word silver lining, but it brought you to who you are today and made you a stronger person. Um, and that, that's what this podcast is about, moments in your life that maybe – um, exposed when you weren't being authentic to yourself. So what did you take away from that experience and how did it lead you to your road? This may have, that, may have, that may have been my lowest uh, moment in my life. Um, but at the same time, when I was in um, solitary confinement, you know, being alone made me strong as an individual. Mm -hmm. And it turned me to faith. It turned me to the things that's most important that I value most, most of my life. Uh, and I was just different from that experience going forward. So uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot in that experience. And it, 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 you know, it was rather therapeutic because I started playing the game of basketball and it got me out of that mind frame and that space where I was at. You know, I, I didn't feel like I was in jail no more for, you know, those two hours that I was able to, you know, have wreck and interact. And then I developed a love and a passion for it. And what, what my issue was on the streets is that I was in love with two games, one that could lead to my ultimate demise, which is the fast life, and the other one was basketball. But I found out which one I loved more when I was in solitary confinement, and I gave everything to the game of basketball. And that's why I'm in the position that I'm in today, and that's why I have a platform and, you know, just try to inspire as many people as possible. Um, so that's really what this podcast is about, is um, identifying a moment in your life where you were or weren't being authentic to who you are and speaking your truth. Was that the moment for you? You know what? I, I think the real game changer for me, you know, like when you when I, when I got back released uh, back into society and I was doing all these things, uh, it was a moment where, you know, we stayed in a drug-infested neighborhood. And I was part of a, a, a drug raid, kind of like an indictment that was happening throughout the, the community. And a couple houses was hit. 
and our house is our house is raided, uh, and, and the door was kicked down. The, the ATF came in, and I'll never forget they found drugs on the premises. But it was a drug infested neighborhood. People hid stuff like in sandwich bags and Dorito bags and everything, and you know put their product wherever. And I'll never forget that you know Sergeant Rick Geller of the po Racine Police Department, but he was part of the ATF unit that came in. Uh, they found the drugs. They had me blackmail in the house. Drugs found on the premises. I was facing 10 to 15 years. And uh, they just decided, you know, Rick Geller took the mask off and I saw his face for the first time. And he just said, you know, I'm not going to try this kid in this situation. I know that those drugs are not his. And I know he's living a different life. And that changed my life. That was a divine intervention for me because... Anybody listening right now know that that's, that just don't happen. So, you know, I knew that I had a higher calling. I knew that my purpose was much larger and bigger. And I wanted to, you know, do all the right things necessary. So that's why I just don't do things. I overdo things because, you know, I know my purpose. So having that singular positive interaction with a police officer that, uh, divine intervention. How does that play out now in your mind, given everything that's going on with all the bad apples we've seen in the justice system? Well, I, 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 we talked to, I talked to Rick Geller. You know, he's still a friend of mine, and I have a lot of friends uh, that I grew up with as law enforcement, you know, officials and whole high positions. You know, from the chief of police on down, and. What I do is just always just give them my observation. And we have to understand that with everything, there's some bad apples. Like we saw 50 states engage into a peaceful protest. We also saw over 18 countries uh, participate in a peaceful protest. But we also saw a few bad apples. We saw some looters. We saw people doing things. So with that happening, we have to understand that it will be some bad apples, but we have to develop a format in the system in order to, you know, wash out those bad apples. And I think that's what's starting to happen. What do you think is the number one thing that can change within law enforcement to help take the country? Well, that's a great question. I think they need an independent uh, platform that one screen the officers that come that's going to protect these communities. Also, did you know, like, I know specifically in uh, Wisconsin, a lot of the, the police department is outsourced. So they're not from these communities that they patrol. So when you come into a community that you don't, you're unfamiliar with and you only read stories or clips in the news, immediately you're gonna have a certain disposition and a sense of urgency. So you're scared coming into this community off top because you're not familiar with it. So if you see anything that uh, is not familiar, you're going to respond and react in, you know, uh, a frantic way. So anything can happen. And you need, like, when I grew up, as bad as it was from everything that was happening in the community, the law enforcement grew up in these communities. So it, they wasn't so aggressive. They wasn't doing all these things. They used to pull you over and talk to you. Even though they harassed the hell out of you, you know, they were still have a relationship and identify certain problems because they, they was more familiar with the circumstances in the neighborhood. That makes sense. Um, switching gears here to 
the news that the NBA will be returning next month with a 22-team format. How do you think that format benefits certain teams? Well, I think it's wide open. It really is. Like, and uh, when you look at teams like Houston Rockets, uh, that you know James Harden, well rested. I mean, he can win you a, a playoff series or two or three. And Russell Westbrook, we know that he can win you a playoff series of two or three. So it's teams like that that's, like, really dangerous. Uh, I know that people have been probably sneaking in workouts outside of Zoom workouts and things like that. So, you know, chemistry and continuity is going to be extremely important. And I think that uh, it's, some, it's some dangerous teams. I, I really feel bad for, like, a team like the Bucks because momentum is so important. Being part of a championship team with teams that's been successful in the past, like a lot of things have to be going right for you to be successful. Mm-hmm. And all the things that can actually go right for an organization and a team was going right for the Milwaukee Bucks at the time that, you know, they had to uh, shut down the season. So it's going to be interesting to see who can pick up the fastest and, and feed off that momentum. And I do think this as well. I think there's going to be a lot of injuries. I think it is. Because now you're being thrown right back into the fire, at at a you're gonna be just have to have to perform at a, a amazing clip, and I think that a lot of guys may be going down. You know, hamstrings are usually some of the injuries that you see for the most part. But you know, no physical contact for almost four months, and then all of a sudden you're thrown into the fire. It might be a, a ton of injuries. I was thinking the same thing actually. It's been since March 11 since the season's been on pause. If you were playing now, still. I mean, you're in a gym right now. How would you have been staying in shape for this eventual return of the season? Yeah, you know, actively, you know, I'll be trying to do as much as possible, but we saw, like, one of the, the, the reigning MVP didn't have access to a basketball court. He didn't have access to a gym. Like, Giannis is like, anybody got a court I can use, you know, in the midst of the pandemic? You know, and that's crazy. So a lot of people feel like, all right, these guys are making astronomical figures. They – the millionaires, they, everyone should have access to a gym. The fact is, everyone don't because they have trainers and then they go to locations where they participate in training. You know, that's the therapeutic part of it. You get away from your house because you're probably in the house all the time and mm-hmm. you're able to, you know, do things like that. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be real interesting. I want to get your take on this as well. Playing under one venue, how do you think that's going to affect teams that typically mm-hmm. do well with home court advantage and playing with their fans around them. I'm glad you asked that. It's it's no home court advantage right now. It's wide open. Like yeah. We we really do not have a favorite. I mean, we know that Vegas usually gets it right and I saw the odds and uh but it's it's wide it's literally wide open. It really is. Neutral court, no fans, uh maybe simulated audio or something like like I, I don't know how you get going off that. Like, it's going to be a battle of wills. And whoever can impose their will on the game the most and, 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 and be consistent in doing that, that's who's going to win. A lot of people are used to playing in front of empty crowds. So mm. those teams might be – they might have a little edge. The balls. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be good. They, they, they got a great uh, addition. I think the president of the new gym, like he's he's really good. I worked with him out in Denver, so he he worked with Tim Conley. He's he's really good at recruiting talent. We won't get a chance to see them until next season now, so they won't. They're not a part of this twenty-two team format. No uh, doubt. 
but I, I'm curious to see that as well as if they're going to pump in crowd noise. We'll see. Um, they're going to add that. So in addition to asking you what your truth is, your authenticity, I like to play a little game at the end of this podcast called Two Truths and a Lie, where you <laughs> tell me two truths and one lie, and I have to guess which is the lie. Okay. All right. Two truths. Let's see a lie. All right. Okay. Well, we already talked about one truth. Was I ever arrested? <laughs> yes, fifteen <Okay>. times. <laughs> Damn. Uh, have I ever? Have I been to the White House in the last ten years? Yes. That's true. Well, now I know the next one is going to be a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. I can't even come up with a good lie right now. <laughs> you know what I'm I want to know about? I was hoping you were going to bring up your Mountain Dew addiction because you credit Kobe Bryant to helping you get over your addiction for Mountain Dew. How did this happen? So I'm going to tell you this. I, I was in the midst of training, and when I came here to the Los Angeles Lakers, I'll never forget in the press conference, Kobe has signed like a dollar deal, and I've never seen that type of contract signed in front of me in my life. So I'm like, I'm motivated, I'm energized. And immediately Kobe was like, uh, you know, be ready. And he was just like, we're about to start. We start working out, start training all summer. And for some reason, I always was like winded at the end of the workout. And we did a lot of work. Like we worked out two, three times a day. So fast forward to the season, it's like first two games of the season, we're on the bus. And I had a, a Mount Dew sitting like at the, the speed of the bus. And he was just like, who, who the hell drinking that? You can't put uh, regular fuel in a, in a Mercedes, like calling our bodies Mercedes and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I've been drinking this forever. He was like, that's why your ass running out of gas and all that. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I, I cut back on the Mount Dew. Like I, I stopped drinking it that whole entire season as a Laker. I stopped. And then I started back in Washington. And I would only drink it in the uh, in the fourth quarters, like in the second half of games. So that I would have like Mountain Dew in my Gatorade cups. And oh so I said, I said, y'all give me Mountain Dew, put it in my Gatorade cup. I'm getting buckets. So the ball boys will have Mountain Dew in my Gatorade cups and I go to work. But yeah, I don't drink Mountain Dew no longer. My brother was getting me off of it a long time ago, back in 2003, 2004. And now I'm completely off of it. Congratulations on surviving the Mountain Dew addiction. Really inspired. That, it was tough. It was tough. I'm telling you, it was tough. It was it was a transition, to say the least. Got to go cold turkey on those things. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on my podcast. I appreciate you sharing your story and your journey and um, inspiring everybody who's listening. I appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem. Thanks, Gron. Yep, no problem. See you. Thank you for listening to the Moment of Cluth podcast. I'm your host, Megan Cluth. For more episodes, please subscribe and share this episode with others. Visit MeganCluth.com to get in touch. Let me know who else you want to hear from and stay tuned for more great interviews. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.